So today's reading is taken from Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 to 35, which is found on page 738 of the Church Bibles, and this is using the ESV version. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Then Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter of days. Your dreams, your dream and your visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. That's all. That works. That's great. Thank you. 
Well, thank you again for the privilege of speaking to you um, today and with an apology to probably Lauren and one or two others who may have heard me do Daniel 2 recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> I first looked at this material for uh, Essex Christian Union last year and I, I've come back to it because it's such an encouragement to me um, and it's such an encouragement to us, I think. And I, I want to take from, um, I think it's verse 24, as a title, uh, the phrase, bring me before the king. Bring me before the king. That's what I want to do today. If you're new to church, if this is something you are not regular about, I want to bring you before my king. And Charles is not here, okay? He is my king, but I've got a higher king, and I want to bring you before my king today. And I want us to see how Daniel felt able to go before the king and present the gospel, the good news of his king, King Jesus. That's where we're going. So let me just pray um, for this moment. Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Help us to believe it. Enable us to understand it. Teach us to obey it. Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> so when was the last time you experienced a hissy fit? Not necessarily of your own, somebody else's. When was the last time you were with somebody who had a complete meltdown, a blowout, an explosion, and you had to choose, do I stand, do I stay, do I help, do I run? Okay. A very real experience. You can see them in play school, sorry, kindergarten, whatever you want to call preschool, that's the word. You can see them, I would hasten to say, in politics. You can see them potentially in our own royal family. But you see right here in the text a right royal hissy fit. That is what is going on. Okay, as we begin in Daniel chapter 2, it's, it's a right royal hissy fit. He's gone off the deep end. Come with me to the throne room of Nebuchadnezzar in March or April 603 or 604 BC. We can be that precise with this story. We are witnessing the ultimate meltdown of a royal personage. We will eventually find a young Christian man, probably in his late teens, who knows a higher king, who is prepared to say, bring me before the king. Okay, so we're watching the royalist of royal hissy fits, and we're going to see the most gracious and humble of God's servants go in and deal with it. King Nebuchadnezzar is disheveled. He sat on the throne in the antechamber. Hiding is the civil service um, because uh, they really haven't got an answer on this occasion. Um, early in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, each spring, he sent out his army to the borders to enforce his law and expand his kingdom. In 604 BC, Ashkelon, one of the city-states of the Philistines in, in David's day, uh, today between Tel Aviv and the West Bank on the Israel coast, um, in 304, 603 and 604, it resisted. And we read in the histories of King Nebuchadnezzar sending out a great army in March of that year to put, thing, put down a rebellion to, to ensure his political and military might was maintained. And it's most likely that 
that causes this potential hissy fit. He's, he's seeing difficulty in his political sphere. We think possibly also in his personal sphere as well. And, and he has dreams. Did you notice, if you, if you read the very beginning of chapter 2, it says dreams, it's plural. It comes regularly to him. This man is troubled. His sleep is rubbish. And he, he gets a bit paranoid. We do that, don't we, sometimes? I wonder if he really couldn't remember the dream. It's possible. I wonder if he was just being a right royal pain in the bum and he was putting his civil service under the cosh and blaming them for what was going wrong. Dreams and their interpretations were a big thing in Babylon. Normally the advisors took the dream and they went and they got these great big Persian dream books and they looked up what it meant and they came back with an answer. We've got some of those books, again, archaeologically. We know that's what they did at the time. However, this time the king says, tell me the dream. Tell me the dream. I'm not going to tell you. You tell me. It's quite frankly unfair. And the civil service, after playing, as they do, politics for a bit to try and get him to admit something about the dream so they can at least start the process, finally turn around and say, impossible, mate. Nobody can do that. God only. This is a divine thing you're asking. Finally, in verse 10, then they admit defeat. And the king explodes. Oh, kill a lot of them. He actually says, tear them limb for limb and your families and tear your houses down. It's pretty graphic. It's a right royal hissy fit. And into that moment, for the first time, after nearly 13, 14 verses of scripture describing this right royal hissy fit, we have just a couple of verses introducing Daniel. And it is chalk and cheese. It is black and white. It is a completely different picture painted of God's servant compared to the world's mess. Daniel is a model for us, who, if we're God's people today, we're, we're citizens of heaven still in this difficult world. And in verse 14, he speaks wisdom with tact. And in verse 15, he asks for information. In verse 16, he speaks to the king and asks for time. In those few short verses, compared to everything we've seen before, we have a confident, courageous, young Christian man, Daniel, who shows conviction enough to make a bold and calm request. There's such a contrast. It's calm in that he sought to slow things down and stave off a disaster. It's bold in that he's basing his statements on chapter 1 and verse 17. Back there we read that God gave them, that is Daniel and his three companions, learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. So Daniel knows God has given him a gift in this area. And Daniel is prepared, calmly and courageously, boldly, to say, God might be able to help. God might have something to say into this situation. So I've set the scene for you, I hope. The right royal hissy fit and the calm, God-gifted Daniel. And I have two headings um, now as we go forward. Um, I, I want just to show you that Daniel is a man of prayer and praise in private and a man of proclamation in public. Okay, that's all we're going to see. So into this right royal hissy fit, in order to bring people before the king, Daniel is a man of prayer and praise in private and proclamation in public. 
And if you haven't got those five Ps yet, I'll say them again once or twice before we go, all right? Prayer and praise in private and proclamation in public. Can you say it quickly? No, not maybe later. Okay, well, Daniel is calm, and his different response to the fury of the king is enabled because he and his friends are committed in private to prayer and praise. He can stand before human kings because in private he stood before the king of kings. Yeah, that's, that's how he can stand anywhere. He can stand like this for the truth because in private he casts himself on the mercy of God and trusts God entirely. Verse 18, he met with his friends and then in verse 18 told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And when his God saves him, because that's literally what it is, he was facing the end of his life. He would die with the rest of the civil service. When God saves him, he gives the glory back to God. His prayer becomes praise. Starting at verse 20. But we'll get there in a moment. Verse 17 has the Hebrew names of Daniel and his friends. And the text here is written. It's very strange. The small portion of the Bible is written in Aramaic, not in Hebrew or Greek. And this is it. And it's another way that the writer is making it leap out at us that God's people are different. They stand out in the world. In this great Persian moment, this great Persian nation where, and even the text is written in Aramaic, which was a language of Persia at the time, here come four Hebrew names. Four boys who will speak to God. So here is the key to our standing for the truth, of bringing people before our king is committing fully to the mercy of God and praising him for the grace and favor when he speaks when the matter is done. Look briefly at the praise. I I really will leave this for your homework. If you want to take it further, then sit and study and pray this prayer back to God and and think about it deeply. But verse 21, wisdom and power are God's. That's that's the part of the praise. You start your praise by saying wisdom and power are yours, O God. Verse uh, 22 talks uh, about knowledge about knowledge. We have to accept that specific knowledge is is a gift from God. All these technological advancements we've made as as a nation, they're gifts from God. Scientific, medicine, all these things, they're gifts from God. We should thank him for them. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 1, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Some of the greatest scientific discoveries have been those people who've sunk themselves in the word of God and loved him deeply with their lives. Wisdom and power of God's knowledge is God's... um, God reveals deep and and hidden things in verse 22. The light dwells with him. This is a a, a hint of the Lord Jesus. This is a hint of the Lord Jesus coming through here. And we know that he said, I am the light of the world, don't we? And then verse 23, this last point of praise, um, it it says everything else. And and we we really must remember to give God all the glory, especially... 
when, when he blesses us like this, and it's so obvious as it is for Daniel in this case, but we must give him all the glory. Calvin once said, we must remember how God is defrauded of his just praise. When we do not connect these two things together, his universal foresight and his government of the world allowing nothing to happen without his permission. Friends, we can praise God when it's tough like it was for Daniel. When he was facing death, we can still go and say, thank you, God. So Daniel is a man of private prayer and praise, which allows him to publicly present or proclaim the gospel. Isn't this a great example for us? Isn't this a deep challenge to us? Isn't this perhaps an encouragement for us? Many CUs, we know that Essex and, and, and Durham, we've been praying for them, have just gone through this last week. But why don't we listen to some of the stories for them and be encouraged and then put this into practice and get out there and talk to others, maybe uh, specific occasions, maybe just day to day as we bump into people. David, Daniel, sorry, uh, you and I can be men and women of private prayer and praise, allowing us to publicly present Proclaim the gospel. Well, let's look briefly at that gospel that is proclaimed. We can stand with conviction uh, with the Lord because his purpose is to go further. His purpose is not just to have Daniel as a, a private man and, and, and his friends as private people who, who praise God. He wants to go further. Daniel is a man of proclamation. So let's look at what he says and be amazed by what he says and how he says it and, and perhaps encouraged to copy him a little bit. What happens next is not a dream sequence, although actually it looks like one, very similar to Persian literature uh, that would, would be a, a record of a dream report and the response to it, but it's got some changes to it. It's not a biblical prophecy, as some have said, and it's not a retelling of the story of Joseph, as others have said. Don't get confused. I want to say to you that right now the first purpose of Daniel chapter 2 is to show us a proper proclamation of the gospel. It is... God's person speaking God's truth to someone who needs to hear the gospel. Now, there's more to it than that. There's prophecy for the future and other things. And later on in the book of Daniel, we'll find that this vision comes again. And it genuinely does inform the kings of what is to happen. But the first thing that is going on here is Daniel is proclaiming the good news to King Nebuchadnezzar. I can be confident that we can find the gospel here in the Old Testament because the seventh article says the Old Testament is not contrary to the New, for both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind by Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man, being both God and man. Wherefore they are not to be heard, which feign that the old fathers did look only for temporary or transitory promises. The last line's pretty old English, but that's the old articles. What it means is we don't listen to preachers who say the Old Testament doesn't have the gospel in it and doesn't have Jesus in it because it is. It is. He's there. So I'm going to bring you before my king. I haven't, don't know if you've spotted him yet. Have you spotted my king in the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar? He's there. King Jesus is there. Have you seen him? Let me show you the gospel in these verses. I'm going to start at verse 28. Okay, in verse 28, as Daniel starts to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, the first thing he says, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. My friends, when we start to proclaim the gospel, as, as Daniel starts to proclaim the gospel, the first thing is to say, 
God. God exists. God's there. He's a creator. He's made all of this. Don't get it bogged down into details. God is the first cause. God brought you and me, all of us, into being. God speaks still into his world. That's the second thing. God is is revealing mysteries today. Have you got questions in your heart? God's got answers. What are the questions of your heart? Well, I can't answer them all right now. and It would take a while. But think about that and bring them to God. Because, my friend, he has answers for you. God who speaks into his world reveals mysteries. He's a God of love and care for you and me. He really does care for you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but that's usually because we're away from God, not he's away from us. So we begin, the first part of the gospel is always God. Creator God, caring God, revealing God, loving God. And then we get to verse 31. And the talk is of kingdoms of this world as statues. Big picture about this statue. Have we got any engineers in the house? If you build a statue with gold at the top and clay at the bottom, all right, how long is it going to stand up for? Maybe you don't need to be an engineer to tell me that. Come on, how long is it going to stand up for? Not long, all right? If I put the heavy concrete stuff at the top on straw and mud at the bottom, (laughs) it's not going to stay up there for very much longer, is it? It's just going to... As soon as there's rain, that mud and straw, squished and gone. These kingdoms are top-heavy. They get worse over time. Eventually, they fade away without trace. Isn't that true of every historic, uh, not generation, you know, commonwealth? Age of man, whatever you want to call it, civilization, political unity or, or attempt, you know, they all get top heavy. They all end up with feet of clay. They all eventually fall down. There's a dreadful problem in humanity and our ways of the world. It's a sin problem, the Bible says. We can't fix it ourselves. Our systems work for a while, but then they fail. And in verse 34, we find that these sinful, broken, failed kingdoms are swept away by an act of God. He removes the problem. He deals with it. Here is a a rock that arrives and sweeps away all that's gone before, filling the whole earth with the kingdom that's built on the rock. And although it's not spelled out for us here, it's very obvious the intention is that building with gold and silver and all the rest of it is nothing like building on the rock because that kingdom expands to fill the whole earth. And now I really have brought you before my king because this is my king Jesus. This is my king who has been sent by God. Did you notice the rock came not by human hand? Code word in scripture. For God intervening in his world. God sending someone from outside the creation into his creation to deal with the mess that we've made of his creation and to restore. The rock is Jesus Christ. God's chosen and sent Messiah. His son, my King, come before my King. 
he, he, he founds, he makes, he's the, 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 the rock on which the perfect kingdom on earth is built. He's begun the making of that kingdom. And he's returned to heaven so that one day he'll come back and unite heaven and earth. And we'll have a place in heaven. He'll remake earth in the mold of heaven. And his time spent up there is preparing a place for you and for me to be with him in heaven. This is my king. Do you know my king? Have you met my king Jesus? He's dealing with this world's sin problem on a national level. But he's dealing with it also on a personal level. Daniel's address is personal to Nebuchadnezzar. As well as having an impact for the whole of human history. Daniel is a man of prayer and praise and proclamation. A teenager dragged from home to a foreign education and still a gospel worker. If God can do it with Daniel, can he not do it with you and me? Can he not do it today? I wonder if this is the first time you've heard of my King Jesus. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But I just want to challenge those of you who know him already for two or three more minutes to be better at telling others about the King Jesus. Do we always put the sovereignty of God, our God, first? How many different ways do we bring God down a peg or two, present him as small when we're talking about him? He is sovereign. We need to be very careful to remember and understand that he is sovereign over the whole of our proclamation. So we read, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers and authorities. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to, get, to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. We have to remember that truth as we go out and proclaim the gospel. Our God is sovereign. He has a plan. Daniel was facing the end of his life. If this didn't work, he was a goner. And still by God's sovereign grace, he was able to proclaim the gospel. Friends, we're going to be given every temptation to deny the sovereignty of God when we talk about the gospel, when we go out to talk about the gospel. No wise man can explain to King Nebuchadnezzar the mystery, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Let's say it to someone today. There's a God in heaven who knows your heart better than I could. And I've known you for years. You might be talking to someone you know. God goes with us as we go out, my friends. Notice that Daniel talks in type. So he's, he's got God as sovereign, but he, very practically he talks in type. He doesn't start talking to King Nebuchadnezzar about Abraham okay, or Moses. <laughs> he talks about kingdoms and rulers and authorities and dreams. All of that's talking in type. All of that is Daniel talking to a king. When you go and talk to a king, you talk about kingly things. When you go and talk to a guy in prison, as I often do, I go and talk about whether he's been on the seg, whether he's had any time out of his cell this week, whether God's in there with him. We talk to different people in different ways. On the golf course, we can talk about sin as missing the green because that's a picture in Scripture of missing the mark. Uh, when we go home and we've got kids and the washing up needs to be done or the dishes need to go in the dishwasher, we can talk about things being dirty needing to be cleaned because that's a picture of sin. Jesus uses so many parables. Read them. 
and you'll see how he talks in type to people, farming people, women he meets on the way of domestic life, Pharisees, educators. Practice is the key when it comes to talking in type, my friends. Don't be afraid to talk to the mirror. Don't be afraid to replay a conversation and do it differently next time around. So sovereignty of God, talking in type, we must be clear about the wages of sin. You notice Daniel got to talk about sin, talk about the failure of our world. In, in, in ruler's terms, he talks about that. But this one's easy. Ask somebody if they've read the news. Uh, human government always fails. We're towards the end, I think, of Western Enlightenment. We can discuss that with those who'd like to do philosophy. You know, we can talk about how, how, how things cascade. I mean, is it really a choice that we're watching with the American election? You know, two doddery old men. I, forgive me, I don't want to get political, but that's the line you could take. Okay? We've got to be very clear that, that everything from civilization to personal life is, is subject to this. Be clear about the wages of sin. And then be bold and bring in Jesus. Isn't that the last thing Daniel does? I mean, God did it with a vision for him, but be bold and bring in Jesus. Not by human hands. All right? If we've got to the point of saying sin is so dreadful as it really is, we have to then say, please don't ever stop there. You've missed the point if you've, if you've stopped there. Not by human hands. Not by human hands. I can't help you, but I know a man who can. Come and meet my king, the Lord Jesus. Don't deny the obvious or leave out the important. Um, I, I, I think we've got to be bold to speak the truth. This is getting over the pain line, as um, Rico Tice would, 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 would say. And he tells some wonderful stories about one of his rugby mates who he never told about the Lord Jesus for a long time. And then, and then after a number of months, he finally plucks up courage and tells him. And the guy basically turns around and tells me, you think I was going to hell... And you haven't told me for six months, and he's angry. He's ang and Rico genuinely thought he was going to get lumped at this point because the guy suddenly understood that Rico had not been telling him. If he died in the last six months, he wouldn't have known the gospel. And he got angry at that point. Friends, we've got to be bold and bring in the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 4 is a real encouragement to me here. Just three or four verses out of that moment. Uh, Peter and John have been taken before the Sanhedrin. When they, the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And they sent them out from there. And then Peter and John are, are, um, are back with their people. And now, Lord... Look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. That's their prayer. That they would continue to be bold in the face of this opposition. And in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We don't do it on our own. God is with us. We must do it with boldness. Paul prays for boldness in Ephesians 3 and 6. Proverbs says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. As bold as a lion. Do you feel bold as a lion this morning? Pray that God will be with you and you can be.
How can we be sure to bring in Jesus? Well, Daniel was a man of prayer and praise in private. If he's talking to the Lord Jesus in private, he'll bring him into the conversation, the proclamation in public. It doesn't matter that he's a teenager in a foreign throne room. It doesn't matter that you're going out on the street this week or into a hostile office or student place or wherever it might be. God is with you and he will enable you to speak with boldness. Daniel is a type of Christ to us, showing us how to live for God as aliens and strangers, uh, as the once blind and lost, proclaiming to others who are still blind and lost. Let me end, however, with, with just saying two final things that come again from Daniel chapter 2. If we take all that I've said, prayer and praise in private, what was it? Proclamation in public. Thank you very much. Somebody's there. That's great. Okay, good. Prayer and praise in private. Proclamation in public. We take all that. We get on with that. We go with God the Holy Spirit and we do that. Verse 45. All right. Verse 45 of Daniel chapter 2 tells us how we end our conversations. We end by saying, A great God has made known to the king what shall be. The dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. My friends, always end with certainty. You can proclaim this gospel because it's true. End by saying, look, I'm sorry we disagree, but I know this gospel is true. Anytime you want to talk about it, come back and we'll talk again. End with certainty. Don't end on a wishy-washy note. And be ready for a positive response. Right? Because it ends on a real plus. Verse uh, 46 through to 48, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. He made obeisance. Everybody in the world made obeisance to King Nebuchadnezzar. He never got down on his knees in front of every, anybody. And at this moment, he falls on his face and paid homage to Daniel. You don't ask people to pay homage to you. Nebuchadnezzar has actually got that wrong. He, he comes to a full saving faith later on in the book. Don't worry about that for now. But the fact is, he makes a positive response to the message. And he commanded an offering, an incense, and he rewarded and he blessed Daniel. My friends, God has said through his prophet Isaiah, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. When you proclaim the word, God has laid that promise into it and down for us. So we end with certainty, we hope we expect a positive response. This is the joy, the wonder of being people of private, what is it? Prayer and praise and people of public proclamation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge of our brother Daniel. We long for the day when we'll meet him and be able to chat with him about these things and praise God, praise you together and look at how we've spoken of the Lord Jesus, the rock that comes into the world and deals with that sinful state of things. Lord, we pray that we might be kingdom builders with Daniel. We might be those who are used by you for your glory. Challenge us if we've not been men and women of prayer and praise in private. Correct, rebuke and correct our prayer life and our private praise and make us we pray, public, those who proclaim the word in public, public proclaimers of your word. Lord, help us to be bold. 
to speak clearly in, in, in a way that people hear of you as our sovereign God, of the frailty of our world, of sin and the damage it's done, of the wonder of our Saviour Jesus. And Lord, help us always to hope for that positive response, to speak positively of you, to end with certainty and be ready when you cause people to say, tell me more, I want to know Jesus. Lord, if there's one here today who needs to know more, we pray they would ask us afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen.